Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 14 in our text this morning. Sometimes we... We see things more clearly when we compare them to something else. Take, for instance, when you're painting your house, maybe the inside of your house, and you're going to paint a wall. And so what they'll do, you go, you go to the paint store and you get all these different colors. Usually about, you come home for about 7,000 of them, right? You're trying to figure out which color you want, and you've got a piece about that big that you're trying to, determine is this the color and it looks really good and you think I, I like this color it's kind of like a, a tan and you don't bite the bullet and go for it and buy the gallon of paint that color what you do instead is you get other colors and you bring it home to your significant other and y'all talk about it for about two weeks right and compare and you keep looking at those little pieces of paper that's got different colors on them and I've done that before where I thought I had a tan and so as I'm thinking, this is tan, this is tan, and, and Jeannie would say, no, that's not, that's yellow. And then you compare it to another, something, a brown hue, and you realize, yeah, that's really yellow. I'm glad I didn't go with that one. But we compare things to, to another to help us see more clearly. And the Bible does that. Oftentimes, the writers in Scripture will compare things or compare people so we can see more clearly, in First and Second Samuel is definitely a book of contrast. We see, think about what we've studied so far. We see Hannah, her barrenness is contrasted with her fertility of Penina. Also, Hannah's devotion and integrity is contrasted with Penina's spitefulness, isn't it? We see Samuel. He's much different than Eli's sons. Eli's boys, Hophni and Phinehas, they were wicked they were cursed by God because of their wickedness during their temple service. But yet, Samuel, we see him faithfully serving Eli and the Lord as he grows in stature and favor with God. Samuel the prophet also is, we see him where God reveals himself to him at Shiloh. And in Shiloh is Eli, the high priest. But Eli couldn't see. He was old and blind, but not just physically. We saw the false god, Dagon, of the Philistines. We see his ineptness juxtaposed to the one true God as the idol Dagon falls to pieces before the ark of the Lord. And the people, the Philistines in that city were afflicted with tumors. So We see this contrast, the false god of the Philistines and the one true God, God Almighty. We see the Israelites who've rejected God. They've rejected Samuel the prophet by asking for a king so they can be like the other nations. And they're contrasted and compared to Samuel, who is faithful to the Lord, and he is set apart. So we see uh, a lot of contrast, and we'll see another contrast this morning in our text. That the context, if you will, I'll kind of summarize that. The Philistines are threatening the Israelites on every side, but God has provided a king to deliver his people. But the means by which they attained a king was bogus, to say the least. The Israelites, they've rejected 
God's prophet. And so by rejecting God's prophet, they rejected God. They wanted to be like the other nations. So God has providentially led the donkeys of Kish wayward. Kish's son Saul has gone to look for them, and he went on a God-ordained wild goose chase only to run into Sam of the prophet who tells Saul that he's going to be king. Samuel gave the new king and the people the expectations of a, a king of God's people. And then Saul, because the Spirit of God rushes upon him, leads the nation to victory over the Ammonites. They have a big inauguration for Saul. And Samuel reminds the people that they're, they've sinned against the Lord. While he and God have attained their blamelessness. And he tells them, lastly, if your king and you will obey, it's going to go well. If you do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So we come to the text this morning, chapter 13 and 14, and three things we're going to learn from our text. Number one, when we're hopeless, remember to obey the Lord, Lord's word above all things. Secondly, there's a stark contrast between King Saul and his son Jonathan. There's the contrast we'll see today. And thirdly, don't confuse success or even man's praise with God's approval. Okay, let's take these one by one. I think in 13 verses 1 through 7, we'll see that when we're hopeless, remember to obey the Lord's word above all things. Saul had 3,000 men. And Jonathan had won a victory at Geba, and it was a small victory, but morale is low. And so what does a king do when you, get a, when you win a victory? You let everybody know it. You want to boost morale, and so that's what he did. But the Philistines, of course, they responded by gathering 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. It says that there were so many soldiers that they were like sands on the seashore. Where have we heard that before? This is supposed to be the Israelites, right? The Israelites are supposed to be so numerous that they're like sands on the seashore. But here we see the, the, the Israelite soldiers few in number, and the Philistines are great in number. And verse 6 says that they're hard-pressed. And then what's the result of the Israelites being hard-pressed? Is that soldiers started going AWOL. They didn't want to be a part of that. It was, they were afraid. Well, when things don't go well, what do those of us who follow the Lord do? We should obey the Lord. We should draw near to Him and trust Him. In fact... For all of us, sometimes things don't go well in life. In our text today, things aren't going well for Saul. Saul is there waiting on Samuel. Samuel had given him commands to wait on him, and Samuel's going to offer up burnt offerings to the Lord in order to get blessings from the Lord before they go into battle. And what is Saul to do? I mean, things are hopeless. They're getting out of hand. The battle is about to be lost before it even starts. So Saul offers a sacrifice, even though he's neither a prophet nor a priest. And isn't that a good thing? I mean, he says he wanted the, the Lord's blessing. That's not too bad, is it? It's like Yuza in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when the Ark of the, the Covenant is being brought to Jerusalem by David and it's on a cart, and it, 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 I don't know if it hit a pothole, but it, was, it wasn't very stable, and it wobbled, and Yuza reached up to catch the Ark of the Covenant to 
stabilized. And what happened to Uzzah? Yeah, he died, right? The Lord struck him down dead because no one was supposed to touch the ark. But I mean, come on. That's not a really, really a big deal, is it? I mean, when you're in a bind, you're in a bind, right, Haley? I mean, what are we to do? I mean, what's God expect in a situation like these? When your back's against the wall, when you're in a jam, right? Like when the bills are due and you don't have enough money to pay for them. I mean, what are we to do? I can overcharge someone just a little bit or I can lie about my, on my time card at work. It's just a little money. I mean, what am I, what's a man to do? He has bills to pay. Or when a mistake is made at work and you're not sure the discipline that's going to be handed out and so you lie to cover it up or you blame someone else. You say, well, what am I to do? I can't lose this job. I mean, it's only a little white lie. It's not that big of a deal. Or is it? Derek Thomas, he says, we have a generation, we've had a generation of ethics that says the situation commands the action and the principle. In other words, what is right depends on the situation you find yourself in. How many of us, that's the ethic that we live by. And wouldn't you know, here Saul, even though he's in a jam, he kind of takes matters in his own hand and he offers this sacrifice because he wants the blessing of the Lord. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as Saul finishes the sacrifice, guess who arrives? The prophet Samuel. And Samuel arrives and he rebukes Saul and says he acted foolishly. He didn't obey the Lord. Saul didn't trust the Lord. And so what does Saul do? Look at verse 11. He tries to rationalize his sin. He tries to make excuses. And firstly, he says, well, the, the, the troops are scattering. When I saw the people were scattering from me, I mean, what am I to do? They're going AWOL, left and right. He had 3,000, and he ends up with 600. I mean, he lost most of his men. And then he says, and that you did not come within the days appointed. I mean, you said you're going to be here in seven days, and it's the seventh day, and you're not here. Now, the seventh day hadn't finished yet, right? But he didn't wait on Samuel. He says, you're late. That kind of sounds like Adam and Eve in the garden, doesn't it? Adam, when, when, when Eve sinned and rebelled against the Lord and then gave the fruit to him and he sinned and rebelled against the Lord, what did Adam say? Well, the, the woman you gave me gave it to me, right? Yeah. And thirdly, he says the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I mean, the Philistines made me do it. I mean, what am I to do? I mean, they, they were fixing to attack. I had to do something, right? And he took matters in his own hand. The thing is that Saul, he never comes clean, does he? He never admits to his wrongdoing, never confesses. And confession is what godly people do. We all blow it, right? We rebel against the Lord. We do things we shouldn't do. And godly people, when confronted, what do they do? They, they confess and they repent. That's what David did, right? With, even after his sin with, with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. You read Psalm 32. We see him confessing and repenting of that sin. Coming clean. Asking the Lord to cleanse them and yielding to the Lord. Where Saul never does that. He stubbornly insisted he was in the right and he had no choice. Verse 13 and 15, and so Saul disobeys. And what did Samuel tell him what the consequences would be? He says, you won't have a dynasty. If you'd only obeyed, you would have a, a king after a king after king after king 
come from your family, but instead there's going to be another, someone after God's own heart. Of course, we know that to be David. But of course, eventually David's descendant, Jesus, right, will reign. And unlike David, he'll never falter, he'll never waver, he'll never fail. But the situation isn't good here in verse 15 through 23. We were told last week, if the king and the people obey, they'll be blessed. But if not, they're going to suffer. And there's only 600 men left. They're about to suffer, it looks like. And Jonathan's victory at Geba in verse 3 only stirred up the Philistines. And the army of Israel is in dire straits. I mean, in verse 19 through 22, it says they didn't have weapons. See, they were oppressed by the Philistines, and the Philistines wouldn't allow them to have weapons. They wouldn't have, allow them to do anything to make weapons. And so even their hoes and their sickles and all their tools for farming, you had to go into Philistine territory, and they had to pay to get them sharpened. Pretty smart on the Philistines' part, huh? But see, we see Paul, uh, Saul in a hopeless situation. He takes matters into his own hands and proves himself unfit to lead the nation as he disobeys the Lord. Point number one, when we are hopeless, remember to obey the Lord's word above all things. When you get in a bind, what do you do? Do you think, think about what the Lord would have you do, or do you take matters into your own hands? Second thing we see in our scriptures, there's a, a stark contrast between Saul and his son Jonathan. In chapter 14, we won't read all of this. I'll read a few verses here and there. But Jonathan took his armor bearer, and he climbed up some rocky mountains, and he looked to see if the Lord might give him victory. Let's look at verse 6 of chapter 14. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. See, it's, it's interesting how Jonathan knew the number of soldiers they had didn't matter if the Lord was with them. And that's so unlike Saul, as his soldiers are going AWOL, what does he do? He panics. But here, Jonathan's not afraid at all. Just he and his armor bearer. In verse 8 through 15, Jonathan comes up with a great plan. He says, if we get up there and, and we show ourselves to the Philistines, and if they dare us to come to them then we'll know the Lord's with us, and we'll go and we'll fight. So sure enough, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they show themselves, and the Philistines do that. They dare them to come over, so they go over, and not only do they kill 20 Philistines, but this led to the Lord causing a great panic in their camp. The earth quaked, and they began to turn their swords on one another. And if you continue reading this story, what, what also happens in the other raiding parties that are, that are Philistine raiding parties that have gone out, they began to panic as well as they get word of this slaughter. And Saul's watchman, he sees this, and Saul wants to know how this came to be. So he asks, who's missing in our camp? Who's not here? I thought everyone was here. Who's not here? And so they told him that Jonathan was not in their midst. Now it's interesting how God's ways are really mysterious, aren't they? Well, let's think about this for a second. Oh, Eli, you remember Eli? And Samuel, they both love the Lord. Eli had some faults, but he, 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 I think he did love the Lord. And their sons were, were wicked, both Eli and Samuel's. And, and Saul, he didn't, he didn't really love the Lord, did he? But he had this incredible son who loved God. Sometimes the, the apple seems to fall farther from the tree, doesn't it? 
The ways of the Lord are not very predictable. And it seems Jonathan would be a good king. But yet, that is not to be. Well, back to our story. Those who win AWOL, when they hear this great victory, they return to the fight. And so the Israelites fight and they defeat the Philistines. Let's read chapter 14, verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth Haven. But the battle could have been more lopsided had Saul not made the Israelites not eat all day. See, Saul had made this, gave this soldier this terrible command, said, okay, hey, we got them on the ropes, we're not going to eat. No soldier, you can't eat all day until the battle is over. And so what happens when you're in a battle? I don't know if you have, any of you ever wrestled. Or some of you, maybe you've been in a fist fight. You know, you see these movies where these people, they fight for a really long time. What happens after about a minute when you've been in a fight? You're just worn out, right? You're like, <laughs> you know, after about a minute of that, that's all you can, you think you're tough and you'll last forever, but that's not really not true. What happens, you get, very, you get wore out really easily. And these guys have been fighting all day long and Saul commanded them not to eat. And so they didn't eat. And so what happens when you don't eat? Your blood sugar drops. What happens? For me, I get a headache. Yeah, my blood sugar drops, I get a headache. Weak, ill, grumpy, right? Yeah. You're famished. Well, Jonathan is gone, and he didn't hear the order, and so what does Jonathan do? He eats, he sees there's, there's a time where honey drops and he saw some honey and he, he took some honey and he ate it. Verse 27 tells us that his eyes became bright. What's that mean, his eyes became bright? Yeah, he, he was energized, right? His, his, yeah, his sugar levels went up, right? Yeah, he, he, he was famished, but he ate something and it, it gave him energy. He felt better, right? It gave him energy, it gave him strength. Yeah, he was strengthened. Yeah. And then a soldier tells Jonathan, hey, your dad said we're not supposed to eat. And Jonathan concludes that, look at verse 29, that his father is not very wise. Look at verse 29 of chapter 14. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what the Lord said would happen if they had a king that didn't obey the Lord, didn't trust the Lord? Yeah, he said there would be trouble in the land. That's what happened. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they had found? For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Yeah, there was a great victory won that day, but it wasn't as it could have been if Saul had made this foolish command, gave him this foolish command to his soldiers. And so what happens, this led to the soldiers. They, of course, they're taking the spoil, and what they began to do is they began to kill the animals, and they began to eat the animals because they're so famished. But they're eating it with the blood in it, which is forbidden by the law of the Lord. So when Saul found out about it, he built an altar, and he had the meat cooked. And then Saul wants to go and continue the battle. He said, we got them on the ropes. Let's continue to fight. Let's continue to fight. First, he didn't want his soldiers to eat. Now he said, well, we've eaten. Now let's go continue the fight. And the priest gets his attention and said, well, let's, let's wait just a second, Saul. They said, let's, let's inquire of the Lord if this is something we should do. Saul never thought about that. Oh, good idea, right? So the priests, they inquire of the Lord. Well, the Lord doesn't answer. And so 
Saul knew that something was wrong, and so he said, let's cast lots to find out who is guilty of sinning against the Lord. So they cast lots, and it fell between, um, it fell to he and Saul, and then they cast lots again between he and uh, Jonathan and Saul, and it fell on Jonathan. And that was, if you want to know what casting lots mean, and the Urim and the Thummim, it's a, a means of knowing God's will. That's one of the means God gave the people in the Old Testament time. It fell on Jonathan, and he had given his word that anybody that eats before the battle is finished, he would be cursed, and he would be punished, and he would be killed. And so when it fell on Jonathan, Jonathan committed to that. Look at verse 43 through 45. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I taste a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. That was Jonathan. Jonathan's just good, isn't he, all around in every way. That's what you said. You're the king. I'll submit to that, right? Then the people said to Saul, no, the people, they speak up. They say, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? I mean, he's the hero. You're going to kill the hero, the guy that won the day? Are you kidding me? Far from it. In other words, no way, that's not going to happen today. We're not going to let that happen. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. See, they recognized that the Lord was with Jonathan. The Lord wasn't with Saul all that much, but he was with Jonathan. So the people ransomed Jonathan's so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Jonathan, he trusts the Lord and obeys him even in hopeless situations. But Saul, he doesn't listen to God. He doesn't listen to Samuel. He lacks wisdom and he makes foolish decision after rash decision that results in the people of God suffering. You know, there's a, con- there's a sharp contrast there, isn't it, between these two men. And, and lastly, the last part of chapter 14, let's not confuse success or even man's praise with God's approval. I mean, here we are in the end of chapter 14. You've got this chapter in which every move Saul makes seems to be bad, hindering his people's ability to fight and putting his son's life at risk. And we clearly see that behind Saul's apparent success is really Jonathan, right, and his victories. This chapter ends by telling us that Saul had success at every turn in battle. Look at verse 47. Why would the chapter end by telling us this? Look. Verse 47, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Look at verse 52. And there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him. To himself. You know, on paper, I mean, Saul looked like a victorious king, but, and there's going to be a song soon written about Saul. You remember that song, Saul has killed his thousands, right? Yeah, he's, he's a warrior, and he seems like he's leading his country to victory. And history, in fact, tells us that Saul took 600 and delivered the people of God, and They defeated even the Amalekites. But we know that the Lord and Jonathan had the most to do with that. I think 
Saul probably was fooled into thinking he was doing well. He's reading his own press releases and everybody's singing his praises to some degree, but he's not pleasing the Lord. I just want to point that out this morning. A buddy of mine brought this to my attention. And How about us? When we can get pats on the back and accolades from churchmen and people think we've got it together and we're great, that we love the Lord. You know, all that can be going on and it looks like everything's going well for somebody and, and they not be walking with the Lord. We see that with, with Saul. He didn't love the Lord. He didn't obey the Lord. But yet, it seemed like he was victorious. When we're hopeless... And we'll be hopeless, we'll be in dire straits, our backs will be against the wall, things won't be going well. We have to obey the Lord and do what the Lord wants us to do. Isn't that right, Daniel? We see this stark contrast, the Bible's full of them, of Saul and his son Jonathan. And I want to encourage us not to confuse success or even man's praise with God's approval. Is the Lord... Pleased with you today. Can you say the Lord is pleased with me? Well, without Christ's atoning sacrifice, none of us can please the Lord, right? None of us will have God's approval as we close. Just think about that for a moment. Without the blood of Christ, we're all separated from the Lord. What pleases The Lord is for his son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And all of us who yield ourselves to the Lord, much like Jonathan was lived his life, yielded to the Lord. If we yield to the Lord and repent of our sin, the Bible says that he can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can have a relationship with God. That's how we please the Lord. That's how we know the Lord is through Christ. And as we think about contrast, there's really a, there's a contrast between God and us, isn't it? And that's a problem for a just God. That's a problem for us, for sinners. But Christ is the solution, right? Because he was obedient, so much so that he gave up his life on the cross, we can have Forgiveness. We can have a relationship with the Lord. Is that your desire this morning? I hope it is. If you're not a believer, you can be today. The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? It means to be yielded to the Lord. Submitted to the Lord. Recognizing your Sin, recognizing that you deserve God's worst, and recognizing that Jesus has indeed taken your punishment on the cross. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord means that you recognize Jesus' resurrection. And because of his resurrection, that you too can be made right. You can be justified by God. 
Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord means that you cry out to the Lord in repentance and faith, trusting Christ's work on the cross as your own, yielded to the Lord, saying, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. Is God, is he pleased with you today? Is he pleased with you today? I hope you can say he is because of Christ and as we repent and trust Christ, there's still a, a need for obedience and walking with the Lord, right? For those of us who are part of the church, we need to obey the Lord in, in every area of our lives, no matter if things are going well or if things are not. And you think, well, right now things are going really well. Well, just wait a day or week or month, a year. You'll be in a bind, right? Kind of like Saul. Will you obey the Lord? I hope we will. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.